0: Hello and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, Corey O'Flanagan. Thanks for being here for another great episode. Before we get into it, a reminder that this show is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network please consider leaving us a kind review. It really goes a long way in helping us to grow. So today on the show, I am speaking with Paul Peck. Paul got his start in the music industry as a student at Tulane University in New Orleans and was moved after attending the New Orleans Jazz Festival. That led him to joining the Superfly team that eventually started the first ever Bonnaroo Festival in 2002. So we get some behind the scenes stories on how that came together and how he began creating what he dubbed super jams, which is getting artists who may not normally perform together on the stage for a one-off amazing concert. Really cool stuff. There's been a lot of these and um, he gives us some pretty cool, uh, some pretty cool behind the scenes stuff of these concerts and things that goes on stuff that I can totally nerd out about. And I really hope that you enjoy it too. More recently, Paul started his own festival, Okeechobee, in Florida, and is now serving as the president of fundraising platform Fandium, which he gets into a little bit. A really great idea and a way to give a little bit and possibly have some cool experiences as a fan of music. We don't have our normal song samples throughout this episode, but I found Paul's stories of creating and putting on these festivals amazing, and I really hope that you do too, so please enjoy paul peck paul peck uh, nice to meet you yeah you too and um thanks for coming on song facts what's this background you got behind you you got this um, purple design with a bunch
1: of signatures i'm seeing as yeah well this is in part to spare you um the messy background of my office slash auxiliary um nyc <laughs> space You know, we have a a new baby, um, and so it's a little messy back there. But this is a um, poster of a show that I have hanging in my office that I'm pretty proud of. Um, This was for Bonnaroo. Um, The festival had a big anniversary, and the name Bonnaroo was taken from a Dr. John record. And so I've produced this show that took place at Bonnaroo with Dr. John um, recreating that record, which is called Destitively Bonnaroo. And that record was him backed by the legendary Meters of New Orleans, and the Meters hadn't played together in eight years, and so we, I I was kind of able to reunite the Meters for the first time in a very long time, and that album is just a classic album, Um, and it was it was produced by Alan Toussaint, and I got him to play on it too, so it was a New Orleans super group playing this whole record, and um, we did a couple of these limited edition posters. And uh, so I was able to get it signed by all four meters, Dr. John and Alan Tucson, And it's like this beautiful kind of like it's got foil and sparkles in it. And it's just like really cool color scheme. And I remember that year at the festival, we did the Bonnaroo Signature Arch with this like whole color scheme. And we put the hat that you see on there, like a physical reproduction of it on the arch. And it was just kind of the theme of the festival. And so I think we got 100 or 200 of these posters made. And I was able to uh, get a couple of them signed by the band. And so some were gifts, and for other people, and this one I kept for myself. Man, I gotta tell you, I was not
0: expecting that. That is fucking awesome. Mm. <laughs> Good I mean, for you. I'm like... so excited to talk some super jams with you too. Sure. Um, but I just wanted to kind of like let's let's kind of get everyone that's listening a little bit of a basis here. So it sounds like you've been around the music business since at least your time at Tulane, and. Um, so why don't you tell us what you do now and then why you decided to make a career in this industry?
1: Yeah, so um, I have a long history of producing special concerts and working closely with artists and you know, setting out to do these things that I consider really special projects. And um, you know, my whole career has sort of been about bringing together community to share special experiences and to really create good energy. Nice. and so when the pandemic hit I sort of took my history of producing content producing live streamed events and I started producing some benefit content some benefit projects with some artists and uh with a couple partners I was really watchful over the donations we were making versus how much activity and engagements we were seeing and how many views etc and felt like there was a really big opportunity to take this community around these live events and create more financial benefit and awareness around these areas of need. Hmm. And that was kind of the genesis of Fandium, which is really the focus for myself and my business partners right now. And so throughout this process during the pandemic and amidst doing these fundraising efforts, I reconnected with an old colleague, partner of mine from my Bonnaroo Outside Lands Days, Alex Macheroff, and another couple partners, um, one guy, Jared Hyman, who is a festival producer and does a lot of marketing and, and sponsorship activations for a variety of independent festivals. And another two people, Ross Gassman and Julio Marine, who both were festival marketing, just like young marketing data analyst type gurus. And okay. we all kind of got together and said, You know, I think that there's a much bigger opportunity around fundraising and activating the power of community. And we concocted this idea of when people make a donation to a good cause, they can win a very big prize. And we can get artists to support the this effort and donate a prize. And, you know, it's sort of the evolution of the fundraising model. Typically, it would have always been either, you know, this fundraising method of, you know, please make a donation to something important and something great. And we've all, I'm sure donated to those types of things and that's, you know, relying on people's generosity, but it's easy to get distracted. And, you know, there might be a million things that you're, lots of things you want to donate to, and maybe only donate to a certain percentage of those yeah. things, or there's this auction model, which really kind of like rewards or creates opportunities for people that are, are wealthy. And so that's where one person might pay, you know, 40 grand for a great prize that there's one of them. And they're the only one that gets it. Fandium is more about, let's get 25, 30,000 people that donate five or 10 bucks each. And we make a lot more money. And now many more people are aware of this area of need and understand this artist is passionate about this area of need. And we've created a, a broader awareness around the program of what some of these really impressive and inspiring nonprofits are doing. So it's activating the power of community through micro donations versus one philanthropic person making a big donation. And it really does connect to me to this idea of festivals and the power of the festivals and the strength of those festivals all from community and the people that are there sharing this one time only experience and, you know, creating good energy. And that's what Fandium is all about. It's about taking the power of community and activating the individual members and creating real, positive impact in the world and then rewarding one everyday fan with something kind of life-changing. Some of these prizes are really life-changing. So, um yeah, that's definitely. What it is.
0: I was I was checking out the the website it's fandium f a n d i e m.com if anyone's listening go and check it out because yeah, there's some you just have to scroll the homepage and just kind of get an idea of what kind of things you guys are offering. I mean, it's just unbelievable and, and such a cool idea. Um I think the main reason that I got really excited to talk to you because most of the time I'm talking to musicians about songs and that kind of thing, but I've I'm so curious about so many different things in the music industry. And I've been to so many different festivals too. I've never been to Bonnaroo and I've never been to Okeechobee, which we're going to touch on a little bit, but I've I've been to a lot of different festivals. And one year I went to Tomorrow World outside of Atlanta and just had an awesome time. And then I got, I'm not a huge like EDM fan, but I, I I can listen to it enough. And so I got back to where I was living in Florida at the time. And I decided to throw a, a masquerade uh, New Year's Eve party at my friend's bar. And really enjoyed putting it together, thinking of ideas to like of the fan experience and all these different things that went into it. And then I ended up DJing it myself. And I got done with that. And I woke up the next day with a little bit of a hangover, but I was like, what would it be like to do something like this on such a massive scale? And so when I got the opportunity to hear about your backstory with Bonnaroo and then Okeechobee and these different festivals, I just wanted to learn or ask you, what was your role in starting Bonnaroo in these festivals? Like it just seems like such a daunting task, but it's just one thing that it seems like you just kind of chip away. You just make a list and just start checking things off, and then all of a sudden you've got a festival. But how did you kind of get involved with it originally?
1: So I was a college student in New Orleans, and I was really diving deep into the New Orleans music scene. And it really taught me a lot about my capacity to connect with different types of music, different types of people, different types of food even. Okay. And I also was really enamored with the New Orleans Jazz Fest, which I actually still consider to be pretty much my favorite festival in the world. Have you ever gone really when it's deep- not muddy? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you get those days sometimes, you, you know, you just get really good boots and you hope that the festival's not canceled on a day that, you know, the one, you know an amazing artist is playing, but that festival every single day, at that event is amazing. And you know, you it's also the kind of festival where there's so much attention to detail yeah. in the programming that your favorite artist might be playing on the main stage and you're just so you know, having this moment of connection with something, a new type of music on a very small stage, or a new type of artist that you never heard of. Yeah. Um, or you might be having a soft shell crab po' boy, which is a different type of eye opening experience. <laughs> and uh, so when I graduated from college, I started working with this company, Superfly. And I had had a really good reputation for doing good work and good creative concerts that I was producing and working closely with artists and artists like working with me. and. So I would try to do things that were really well-organized and logistically Mm -hmm. sound, but also had a really strong creative inspiration and direction to them that I would work very closely with the artists on. And it seemed that they needed that type of creative energy in, and they had, you know, an overflow of projects. And back to Jazz Fest, they were producing 80 or so Jazz Fest shows every year, late night shows that happened after the Jazz Fest, because the Jazz Fest ends at 7 p.m. And uh, so, you know, we started putting together Bonnaroo right when I started working for Superfly. And in between that time and the festival, I had this whole experience of as a very young kid running these pretty tumultuous jazz fest shows in these small New Orleans clubs. But a lot of those skills that, you know, you, you, you take into producing a show, everything from booking to pricing the tickets to marketing the show to executing the show and some of the same challenges that would come up in those shows, you know, flow of traffic into the venue. Even if it's a hundred person venue, you want to get people in and you want to get people processed at the door and you want to make sure that everything's safe. And, you know, these are on a microcosmic scale, some of the same issues that you work with at a festival. But yeah. at a festival, you have a much larger staff to work with you. And I've always been fortunate to be in the position of working with people that are more talented than than myself in the areas <laughs> that are really the critical things of making a festival run. Okay. So I can focus on what I'm good at, which is kind of the creative, which was something that since day one of Bonnaroo was really um, a focus of mine and something that was really kind of my wheelhouse. And uh, I was always involved in the programming. I was always involved in the unexpected moments of surprise that would occur at the festival, which to me are these things that can really elevate an experience. You know, if you're having a great day at a festival, and you're going from point A to point B, and then all of a sudden, something totally surprising and overwhelming, like a parade with horns and dancers sweeps you up and takes you to, you know, you thought you were going to point B, and then you end up going to point you know, W (laughs) off in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden you're in some totally like, it is an impromptu moment of surprise and it swept you up and took you someplace. And that was something we really took to Bonnaroo right from the gate. So we would do these parades. And uh, I would also produce this thing at Bonnaroo in the very early years called the Masquerade Jam, which what you were talking about reminded me of that, where it was in the um, space that was, it started in our cinema area. And then it moved to our comedy area in the very early years. And you had to be in costume to get into the show. And there would be a band playing and the band would be in costume too. Um, And then at the end of the show, it would be revealed who the performers were. And so it was just kind of this like cool, different experience. And, you know, uh, these types of things that are just surprising and unexpected that celebrate this, we're all in it together sort of spirit that I do think a great festival captures that sense of community. And with Bonnaroo, it was a very big project. And it was our first time producing a festival of that scale. And there was this spirit from the jump of we're all in this together. And we don't exactly know where it's going to go, but we're all going to find out together at the same time. And the idea of temporary community that experiences this intense journey of connection and this group of people is never going to be together again. And through all these different twists of fate, have all come together at this one place at the same time, you know, in the same physical location on this really big planet over this, you know, the life has existed on Earth for a long, long time. And we're all just like, you know, by whatever lightning strikes have put us all together and we're sharing something. And then at the end, the, everyone is going to go back in a million different directions. And if they can take some good energy back into the real world, then that's a really healthy thing. And that's, I think, that whole concept has kind of been something that I've always searched for as a fan and also a producer. You know, I want to take parts in those experiences and I want to help create those experiences for others and selfishly. So I can take part in them.
0: I think that's something that's almost like a subconscious or fringe benefit for, for festival goers is that they might go home afterwards with like this buzz and maybe they can't quite pinpoint exactly what it is, but, and they might always just be like, Oh, I saw the greatest show and I'm just still reeling from that. But it's partially that. But I think it is what you're talking about. It's this collective community of people getting together and experiencing something for three or four days that you're those 100,000 people are the ones doing it. No one else in the world is doing that. And then they, to think about them going back to their different places, their different homes and kind of spreading that energy. I, I just think it's such a cool idea. I'm happy that the idea of festivals has grown to where it seems to be today. And it seems to be continuing to grow. I mean, obviously there were setbacks with COVID and everything like that, but it's, it's, it's like what the major acts consider when they're thinking about what they're going to do for live shows in the summer
1: is like, which festivals am I going to do? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, with Fandium, it really does connect to this concept because when you're having these experiences of intense connection, you feel really inspired and really motivated. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you know, like sometimes that feeling can dissipate and sometimes there's all this intention that is connected to that feeling. So really the idea between Fandium is like, amongst Fandium is like, let's give the individual members of the community that are really celebrating this connection an opportunity to do whatever they can. And there might be a reward for them because one person is going to get something really exceptional. But in any event, it's the power of community. When everyone chips in a little bit, You know, we can change people's lives, whether that's providing clean water or access to food or, you know, cancer treatment. And so it's just, you know, or even like access to voting. So it's just, there's just so much um, there and it's just so connected. But this idea of like the great energy that's connected in those moments, that's created in those moments and how to manifest that into real change. And it's a very empowering experience too, to have those experiences of connection and then to do something positive for for someone else as well. So that's, you know, we're that, that's kind of what it's all about is about like creating good energy. And also, you know, in, in our current time period, especially coming off of the pandemic, so much of our interaction with the rest of the world occurs through screens, this yeah. literal barrier in this filter. And to get into a physical environment and to connect with people that are maybe some the same from you, maybe some are totally different from you, but that's a really healthy and I believe necessary human experience. And, you know, these are all sort of the reasons that keep me excited about what I'm doing and the projects that I'm putting energy into.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, that's as good a reason as any, the, 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 the community that's being built, I think that you've been trying to focus on is, is huge. And, and I think that anybody that's been to one of these festivals understands it and, and appreciates it. Um, I want to try and have you dig into your memory a little bit. Now, I've got to imagine that there are some serious behind the scenes moments going on at these festivals that the the audience is just unaware of the chaos of something that might be happening. And I'm just wondering, good or bad, is there one let's call it a moment of chaos that you remember happening as the festival is rolling.
1: Oh my gosh, man. There's so many, There's so <laughs> many good stories too. And it's like, and I, and I guarantee there's so many moments, so many stories that have been forgotten and just the intensity and overwhelming nature of these festivals. Yep. Because it's just like, there's so many people you're working with and the stakes are so high and it's just so intense. It's like, you've been working for, you know, over a year on this event that plays out over three days. And it's so important because people have come there and they put their trust and their safety and, artists so you know I have this memory of the first year of Bonnaroo very early on I you know this is I had just graduated college and we had had a runner that had created the path that we advanced with all the artists that they were supposed to take for the back entrance to Bonnaroo to skip the traffic and to be able to get in safely and at some point there was a typo in the directions and it told them to go north when they were supposed to go south or oh. east when they were supposed to go west <laughs> and it was like became apparent to us on the first day of the festival very early that this had happened and uh you know we're like we were in the mode of there was a, you know we had a really good team that first year but it was an all hands on deck situation to the nth degree to the point where like you know me and one of the owners of Superfly were like by hand making out the meal tickets like the day before the festival, because that was like something that just slipped in the crack somehow. (laughs) So this was before the time that really like, first of all, nobody had email on their phone at this point in time. Exactly. Some people didn't even have cell phones. So I was like, how are we going to fix this? I was like, I'm just going to start calling the artists and the tour managers and the managers, and I'm going to give them the corrected directions. So this was like an absolute scramble and, you know, in the position of, we hope we can get the directions to Bob Weir to get to the festival to play tonight, you know? So um, those, those types of things. And uh, I mean, there's, there's just so many others too. And then there's these personal moments that, you know, really like only one of us could experience. I had, I remember the first year of Okeechobee, I was, uh, you know, the first night of Okeechobee, I was really very um, considerate about who was going to be the first artist on the main stage, who is gonna be the first artist on the main stage at sunset and after dark and really programming around these moments. And I was fortunate that year that we had both Robert Plant and Hall and Oates and they were both supposed to play Friday. And I remember struggling with this idea of who's gonna play first and who's gonna play second. It's not necessarily which is the bigger artist, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really about, cause I also had a late night artist playing on that stage too that night, okay. more on the dance front. And it was just this idea of, uh, you know, which one, which one do I want to be playing at Sundown, which I really felt was a key and really meaningful moment for the first day of that festival yeah. on that stage and in that space. And so I decided that I thought Robert Plant should be playing at this epic moment of Sundown and uh, Hall and Oates should play after that. And I just really thought about it. And I remember I was at the festival and Robert Plant is playing and his, he had basically started the tour around our date. And it was pretty generous of him even to play for us in our first year. And, you know, we had a really good production and operations team. And we, you know, always like with all, with all my projects, I want to hang our hat on really strong operations, logistics, good organization, and then very strong creative and just trying to think about being different. And uh, so Plant is playing and he's playing with Zeppelin songs, the Energies at 11 and, you know, the whole thing's going through the roof. By the way, in the distance, we see us, there was a rocket launch spacex had like done like a space launch that day it was just like so epic and i was like sitting there borderline first one moment like being on cloud nine and then the next moment having a panic attack that i like screwed this whole thing up by having anyone play after robert Plant. yeah yeah (laughs) um and so it was just my own sort of personal emotional roller coaster and uh you know it really ended up being the way that it should have been and hollow was just so fun and sounded so great but robert plant like completely brought the house down and just like you know the epic you know musical super hero that he is it was just yeah. it was it was absolutely perfect but at the time before Holland notes played i was like i don't know if this is gonna work with anyone playing after him so um that you know i have a lot of those kinds of stories and experiences
0: stay tuned for more song facts podcast right after this
1: Song Facts Podcast is
0: sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, I've always wondered why when an athlete breaks a leg in the middle of a competition, they get all the sympathy and everyone's all worried about them. But if their mental health breaks down, that's not necessarily viewed in the same way. It's almost viewed as a weakness. But without a healthy mind, being truly happy, and being at peace, well, it's hard. And the good news is there's therapy out there and it actually works. So what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated and you need some tools to help. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship or at work. These are the things that therapy is there for. Whatever you need, It's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy and now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really all about. And a special offer to SongFacts podcast listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at BetterHelp.com slash SongFacts. That's hel slash SongFacts. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast and have a great day.
2: Music, everyone loves it.
1: But who listens to the lyrics?
2: We do. She doesn't live in a shantytown. She lives in capital S (laughs) shantytown. You put patches from old shantytown on a resume? (laughs) You're not getting that job, you
1: know what I mean? On the Story Song Podcast, we break down the lyrics you've heard a thousand times. Go up.
2: to Barnes & Noble, 20 bucks, farming for dummies. Right, <laughs> chapter
1: one, don't farm at
2: night. Chapter two, don't farm in the winter. Yeah, <laughs> the index is just like blizzards. See, also don't. <laughs> we also look at the history of the song. So the monster match is on the <laughs> yes. R&B yes. Clearly it should be on the monster chart. <laughs> oh, it was, it was number one on the monster <laughs> oh, okay, good, 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 good. The Story Song Podcast. Find it wherever you download podcasts. Get your
0: song facts back And I I think if people, if someone's listening to this, the thing that you need to hear what um, Paul's saying here is these tiny little details that like you just think of this festival and everything that's going on, but every single detail is thought out. And to have this thing, like a food ticket, how are we going to do this for the fans slip through the cracks? Like this is a major deal that was obviously thought about, but then it just didn't, as you're checking things off the list, somehow that gets skipped. And it's like, we got to scramble and make that happen. And then it's, putting people, putting musicians in order of like, not necessarily thinking about ego, but thinking about fan experience, which is what your job is primarily, not necessarily worried about like, well, this person's going to be hurt because they might feel like they're a bigger artist right now. But I know for the fan, it's better for them to go first. I love these kinds of like little micro decisions that have to be made. And I especially love it when it has to be made on the fly like that. And so to me, it's like, Wednesday night before that festival starts, or Thursday night, the you have to flip a switch, and you don't get to turn that off until like
1: I don't know Monday evening. <laughs> it's a very it's it's a very intense um, prospect, and just feel really um, an overwhelming amount of gratitude just for these generous you know, selfless artists that understand that what we're creating is an art project. Yeah. And I think what separates a good festival from a bad festival and a good production, whether it's at a small venue and, you know, small music shack made of wood and the streets of New Orleans and the things happening at two in the morning, or it's a massive 65 plus thousand person festival. It's, as you said, it's the attention to detail. And if there's something that you're doing that you're truly doing with love and vision and intention you really want to drill into those details. And I think that that's what separates really special work from pretty mundane work. And I think, you know, when we talk about all the details that go into a Bonnaroo, all these different nooks and crannies that you can go off and experience and you can explore and these moments of surprise and delight, it's, those are the details that really take an event and an experience and anything to the next level. And it's always like the details that really elevate something from you know, something really good to something absolutely exceptional. And I think the details is, you know, that's, that's where the inspiration really shines through. Yeah. And I think that, I think you're right because
0: I've been to festivals where it didn't necessarily feel like the details were as thought. And I've been to ones where it's just like, as soon as something like a thought hits your head, you know, the promoter and their team has already thought of me walking to that bathroom being like, how is this, how is this going to work out? How is this going to be a smooth situation? And you can, you can tell when you're there that those kinds of ideas have been thought of. Let's talk a little bit about super jams now. Um, it sounds like from what I was able to read that you organized your first one while you were at Tulane. Um,
1: yeah.
0: How has this kind of, progressed. And then I do want to talk about some of your favorite memories of them. Um, And just like if there's specific songs or artists that you put together and you were Mm -hmm. like, Ooh, I did not expect that, but this rocked
1: it. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, with, with those types of projects, it's such a special opportunity that I take tremendously seriously. Um, to be able to work with these monumental artists in a creative capacity. And I feel like I have an obligation to them and also just to the fans that when somebody like, you know, Wynn Butler from Arcade Fire or Miguel or Mumford and Sons or Skrillex or Brittany Howard from Alabama Shakes or Jim James, Derek Truck, some of these artists that I've done these shows with, if they're going to work with me and they're going to dive in and they're going to spend time to rehearse. And I feel like we need to be, unbelievably ambitious with this opportunity, I'm like sitting there trying to think about like, I want to create the best show ever. Like, yeah, that's like yeah. really the way that I'm thinking about it. I, you know, I have this one of one of the, you know, the most exceptional artists in the world or sometimes multiple of those artists. And I don't know when they're ever going to be together again. You know, I want to create something that is purely once in a lifetime. And by the way, it really relates to this idea of like what you go out to a concert for. To me, I'm chasing that moment something that's never happened before, something that's never going to happen again. That's why I throw festivals. That's why I attend festivals. I want to capture that lightning in a bottle. And so I just become very ambitious. And it's back to this idea of details. I want to take care and be very precious about every detail that we can put together. And I think that comes to the makeup of the band. That's a special guest. That's the sequence of the show. um, That's you know, who, who's going to sing what, what's the order of everything going to be? Who's Mm -hmm. the, you know, are we going to have a percussion player alongside the drummer? Who's the bass player going to be? What are our background vocalists going to be? You know, it's these types of things. It's the details that can really take something to the next level. And when I, you know, think about some of the artists that I've just been fortunate to work with, uh, you know, I had this experience many years in where I worked with Skrillex on this show and He was, as many of the artists that I've collaborated with have been really open to ideas and working collaboratively to mold a direction. And that's to me where the inspiration comes in. It's when, you know, two people get together and do something that neither one of them would have done on their own. And then when you bring 10 other supremely talented individuals into that mix, it just becomes... This really special lightning strike moment. And it, it is this idea of like it's the intensity of a festival where you're all in it together, and nobody from the people on stage or the people standing in the audience know where it's going to lead you next. We're all going to kind of find out together. And so, you know, you want to put together the right configuration of people, the right production staff, and every single position. And this is key and uh you know i want to bring the people that are going to create the right vibe and i want to put all these amazing artists into a comfort zone to really do something special because i recognize that you know it's hard enough for them to go out and do the unbelievable show that most of these artists do every night when they control a lot of these factors but then they're going to wipe the slate clean and they're going to do something that they never do yeah they don't have to do this you know and lord knows they're not really getting paid much for it so it's like you know just this really generous um way to share their creativity and their talents with the world so um i I mean i just have so many stories about these epic moments that we've created i mean i've been very lucky the first super jam that i ever produced for the company superfly was with quest love and since then i've gotten to work with him on a couple different um projects like these and he's He's amazing he can literally just back anybody right Absolutely. And so the first show that I did with him was just such an exceptional show the energy and talent and just, you know, he takes a music, he he knows everything about music. And I, you know, I consider myself like, you know, somebody that really um, has a good deal of understanding. And I also like these shows to me are all about celebrating classic songs and hearing them in a new context. And I know you and I share a passion for the craft of songwriting and how that can play a role in our collective consciousness. And the, the idea of like amazing songwritings that tell something about reality. That's hard to verbalize otherwise. yeah And I love the idea of taking artists that have been influenced by the original artist that did that song or that song and putting a new spin on it and celebrating it live. And, you know, he's somebody that always brings the best ideas of like what songs to play with the particular artists we have, what specific versions of the songs. It was the kind of thing that I was thinking about earlier, but his knowledge of, you know, songs and music, it just kind of blows me out of the water. So whenever I'm working with him, whenever, you know, I, you get your own cadence working with anybody. And in Mm -hmm. certain cases I bring a lot of ideas and in certain cases I, you know, whittle down my ideas by 50%, 60% based on the people that I'm working with. And he's somebody that I just always has had such a great dialogue, but have supreme trust in his unbelievable taste. I mean, that's the thing about him. He's just got great taste and kind of everything. And he, you know when he's in the car he's the guy behind the wheel and yeah. i'm happy to ride in shotgun or in the back seat and i'm grateful for when i can kind of chime in with some ideas because his ideas are fairly you know hitting bullseyes pretty much every time
0: yeah i think that's, so that's- he,
1: yeah yeah I mean, what a,
0: what a, what a cool thing to, what I, what I wonder is there, was there anything specific that like triggered this idea? Did you see something? Did it just kind of happen? Cause my thought would have been like watching a documentary, like the last waltz or something like that. And you're like, huh, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell and the band doing a song together. Like maybe that can all of a sudden be like done again with modern artists and, or we can try and find them and get them back in there again and do something like that. Was there something like that, that happened or did this just kind of come and evolve over time? It's a little bit
1: that some, I mean, first of all, that's a reference point right there. That's a point of inspiration. I had been watching that film since I was a kid and the idea of all of those artists performing together on one night in history, it's, you know, to be in that room. And I think it's easy to become wistful and think that, you know, you met You know, when I I was younger, I always felt like maybe I missed out on the prime of music between Bob Dylan and the band and the Grateful Dead and Joni Mitchell and Neil Young. I mean, these are my all time heroes. But at the same time, it's, you know, in 10 years, people are going to be thinking that about the day that we're in right now. And so I want to create these chapters in music history with these people that I believe are, you know, when you look back on these are historic figures. And some of the things you do now become more epic over time in retrospect. So I think absolutely, like the idea of The Last Waltz, and it's also the tradition of New Orleans, where, you know, it's, there's just so much collaboration, and so much um, improvisation that goes on there. And it's really the spirit of improvisation that I think, like, you can create magic when you open yourself up to the possibility of magic, and you can't, you can't say that it's going to happen, but you can stack the deck in your favor by bringing great artists in and doing great songs and having a good energy behind it and keeping everything good. And, um, you know, bringing in the right collab right group of people and having the right setting for the show and good vibe in the rehearsals. And you can create, you can create a better probability that something truly epic is going to happen. And I, when I, again, when I'm in the, 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 the situations where I can create some of those, um, some of those experiences, I really become hyper-focused on everything that I can do. I become like a baseball manager that like plays by the, <laughs> you know, that plays the odds. And I just want to put everything that I can stack the deck in our favor for positive, favorable results and do it with a creative touch and, you know, bring the right people in that are better at the things than I am that might be more important, you know, like making sure that the gear is set up. You know, making sure that we have the horn charts written out and the correct key that the singer wants to write them hmm. wants to sing them, you know, making sure that we have like the right vocal mics and the right monitor set up and those types of things that are just so essential because if the artists can't hear one another, you know, you're going nowhere fast. But I mean, all of these things, and you know, I grew up going to see the band Fish. and yeah. I just remembered, you know when i when I was a high school kid, I would see all these like really epic shows and you know, sometimes things that you never would have expected would happen, would, would, would happen at these shows, or different artists would come sit in. And those were the moments that I always chased as a fan. So it's really this like collection of different inspirations and influences that created this idea of I want to put together these once in a lifetime experiences where it's an aggregation of talent that, you know, maybe you wouldn't have thought would make sense on paper. But we all have so much common musical inspiration and influence in our just cultural DNA that a lot of times you can find common ground between people that you might not think would be able to connect in that way. And that's where the real magic happens. And I think that's when you can also take the audience, you know, somewhere where it's a total unexpected turn. And that's when it gets exciting.
0: Have you ever had one happen where they just came out ice cold? Like we've met, but we, and we got a six song set list put together, but we've never rehearsed and we're just going to go wing it.
1: I have a pretty, you know, that's a little bit of a nightmare scenario. I've had a couple things like within successful shows that didn't go as well as people wanted them to, or that I wanted them to, or, you know, a lot of those things can really be traced back to maybe I pushed things too far or made a bad decision, (laughs) you know, because these artists are just so talented, um, I, I have a very high batting average of putting together really good shows because I work with good artists yeah. and I kind of have the formula for putting them in a position to succeed. So I've had a couple moments that have been disappointing. Um, maybe some of them are because I pushed it too far. And, you know, like I sometimes do have those moments of why did I do this as I'm watching a show and it's too <laughs> damn late to change anything. Uh, but those, you know, those are kind of few and far between. And I think sometimes, you swing for the fences, you know. You can't really make contact every time, but yeah. hopefully you have a lot more hits than misses. And you know, even the things that have been misses have still been kind of fun and memorable and cool. So there's been very few of those, to tell you the truth. But there have been some absolute near misses. I'll tell you that.
0: Hey, that's um, you know, and we learn from yeah. our mistakes, and that that's something that uh yeah. that you can always take and be like, oop, I can trace that back. That was where this went off in the wrong direction, and I now know not to do that again. Um, yeah. So. okay. Last thing that I want to kind of chat with you about is the festival that and get me, if I'm wrong here, correct me, but Okeechobee is your baby, right? This was your thought process. You, you've kind of been the founder and the one that got this going.
1: Yeah. I started the festival with some partners. I'm the co-founder of the event and I was the head of programming and originally sort of came up with a lot of the concept for what was the original iteration of the project. And I understand that it's evolved since then, but I'm, I'm no longer involved in the festival. My okay. old partners who are tremendously talented individuals are stewarding that project and, you know, continue to evolve that brand in a really good and a really inspiring way. Um, but the first, you know, the, the, initial iteration of it was, was, was myself along with an, another business partner of mine, Steve Svesma and some of the people that are still operating the event.
0: Is, is the idea of doing something like that and and obviously like there's a there's so many different festivals that that people can choose from nowadays starting a new one do you see something that's missing or are you just like I just you know I want to do this in this location and, and make this happen or you know what's the reason for making another one
1: you know I'm always seeing things that are missing yeah. and I'm also the kind of person that I, tend to have this counter reaction when I see things done repeatedly a certain way, I start thinking, huh, maybe this could be done differently. Maybe this could be done opposite. You know, there's a counter case for this too. And when you really get into these, you know, festival production and the creative side, you can really, some of these decisions that might seem easy are very hard decisions. you get smart people, you know, you can understand both sides of it, but at the end of the day, a decision needs to be made. But you know, I think that there is plenty of opportunity for different types of experiences in the festival landscape that aren't really being offered. And you see new stuff come up. The When We Were Young Festival is a festival that was just announced this year and absolutely struck a chord. And before, before um, you know, that event was announced and put on sale, nobody had done that festival before. That was a new idea. I don't think, I don't, I don't think every combination of, you know, notes and chords has been played. I think there's new songs to be written. I think there's new festivals to be produced and I think that there's new experiences to be created and had. And, uh, you know, so I, I just, I think that there are a lot of people that have a great recipe that do something very strong and very inspiring and, evolve that particular project and I think that there's new opportunity to do I think that there's endless opportunity to do things that are different it's really just about what do you or what what do I want to spend my time on and who do I want to be working with and you know where am I going to put my focus and energy you know towards so it's
0: it's all of that well I think that um I've learned a lot I could sit here and talk about the details of designing and and um organizing a festival forever but i don't know if everyone listening has the same type of curiosity and uh scrutiny for details i'll say as i do but i'm i'm endlessly fascinated yeah. in it i really appreciate you taking some time to come on and chat about it a little bit and um everyone that's listening go check out fandium you know chip in find something that you believe in find something that you'd like to win and be a part of and uh it's a really really cool idea and i hope that that continues to have success for you
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, right now we have amazing causes that are in need of support and we have prizes that have been generously, really creatively produced, just like you would produce a festival. We produce these prizes that are like so over the top for fans of you know Metallica, Nine Inch Nails, Imagine Dragons. We have all these artists have, have generously donated stuff that's on the site right now. And we have constantly new stuff coming up on the site every day. And you know, we're working creatively with these artists to do things and, and create opportunities that some fan is going to get to experience and really kind of life-changing stuff. And as part of the equation, we're impacting people's lives around the world. So it's a really special thing. And I hope people will come and participate. And I hope a lot of people, will, you know, win these things and have these life-changing experiences. So.
0: I mean, create an opportunity to both you know, donate something and and do some good in the world. And also like have the opportunity from that to have this once in a lifetime thing come into your life that nobody else will ever get to experience is such a good combination. So kudos to you and thank you very much. And I, I hope you have a great day.
1: Thank you, Corey. You too. Great chatting with you.
0: You too, Paul. Thanks. Take care. See ya. Thank you so much to Paul for coming on the show and telling us his story. Amazing, amazing stuff. Getting behind the scenes details on how these festivals come together. And Fandium just sounds like such a cool thing. Definitely worth checking out. You can link to that in the show notes. As always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. And have a great day. Thanks.